0: I'm Jason Mitchell, Head of Responsible Investment Research at mangrove Group. You're listening to A Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. And I hope everyone is staying well. Some of the most interesting conversations I have on this podcast are with policymakers and regulators. When we think about who has the power to make Real systemic change. They're rightly at the top of the list. And this episode is, in some sense, a behind the curtains perspective on sustainable finance rulemaking and the interplay between European Commission efforts and national priorities. And look, I get it. It seems like there's no shortage of critics of the EU's SFDR, but my view has always been that the first one through the wall is inevitably going to take the cuts and bruises. So there is a profound amount to learn over the last several years from this process. It's also important to understand that Germany adopted its first sustainable finance strategy on the 5th of May, 2021. And one of its four key pillars is transition finance, an area formally overlooked by the EUSFDR up until now. Which is why I'm excited to be speaking with Dr. Esther Wandel on this subject. We talk about how the German Federal Ministry of Finance is evolving its sustainable finance strategy, why it's vital to drive transition finance into the real economy, and what harmonization holds for sustainable regulations and standards. Esther is Head of Division for Investment Funds and Sustainable Finance at the German Federal Ministry of Finance. She focuses on the international, European, and national agenda on sustainable finance and asset management topics. Esther led the financial services team of the Permanent Representation of Germany in Brussels for two years, where she led and coordinated work on financial services during the German EU presidency. She worked for the European Commission for seven years, as well as the Financial Conduct Authority in London for three years. And last, it's worth noting that this episode was recorded before the European Commission's September 14th announcement of two new consultations seeking feedback on SFTR. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Esther Wendell. It's great to have you here today, and thank you for taking the time.
1: Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. It's a great pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, That's great. That's great to hear. And I am too. So Esther, I'd like to first set up our discussion with why you're here. As the head of the Division for Investment Funds and Sustainable Finance at the German Federal Ministry of Finance, can you talk a little about what the scope and oversight of that role means? And I guess I'm also interested in how that's expanded, given the introduction of so much significant regulation from the European Commission over the last several years.
1: Yes, thank you very much, Jason. So. Uh, The role has clearly expanded over time. So originally, it was an asset management team and sustainable finance was later on added. It looks a little bit random, but at the end, it's not so random because obviously, sustainable finance is very much linked to the capital market union from a European perspective. And also, asset management plays a vital role. Obviously, there are the other sectors, so it's a cross-sectoral issue, but still, I think the asset management industry has a vital role here. The topic is very dynamic and takes de facto the lion's share of my time. The role involves working on national policy on sustainable finance, involves work on the EU level and also on the global level. The challenge is also that the implications of that work go well beyond the financial sector and have I think also major repercussions for the real economy. So my work became much more interesting, but obviously also much more complex. I would like to add also a thought here, because I think we have very conscious to be here that, um, particularly from the EU Commission and from the EU side, the Green Deal was very much driven by the financial services sector, which is absolutely fine. But we have to keep in mind that the transition takes place in the real economy. Thus, we need both sides on the table, and that is something we look very much into, also in view of the burdens and costs for both sides. The role is a great opportunity, therefore, also to walk new paths. For instance, we are also here in charge of coordinating our Sustainable Finance Advisory Committee, I would say a rather unique body because it's bringing together stakeholders from different, from all quarters, from all areas. So financial service industry, real economy, including SMEs, academia and civil society. And they have done a great piece of work in the last couple of months already. Great piece of work on taxonomy. Very interesting work on an ESG indicator for retail products. I might say a bit later something about it. And other very interesting initiatives. So you can see it's very broad and very exciting.
0: And can we also talk about the relationship to BaFin? And Boffin, of course, is the German Federal Financial Supervisory Authority. It's an independent body, but clearly needs to follow the aims and objectives that the Ministry of Finance sets out. For instance, financial stability of the finance sector. What does that legal and technical oversight of BaFin really mean? You know, what does that interaction look like, particularly in the context of sustainable finance?
1: Yeah, um, Jason, is a topic which goes slightly beyond sustainable finance because it's a more general issue. But I think very generally I want to clarify that BaFin as a supervisory body is operationally independent as it is expected from supervisors according to international standards. The so-called technical and legal oversight, which is basically rooted in our constitution and in the German system, um, has to respect this as it is clearly laid out in the principles of cooperation we have with the BaFin. In terms of um, sustainable finance, I think it's very interesting to know that the BaFin has set its own objectives. It's also a cooperative process. And one of these objectives is sustainability by which BaFin obliges itself to consider sustainability aspects and their supervision. So this is also very important too for our cooperation, and uh, the BaFin is doing work along these lines. And obviously we are in an exchange. We have a good corporation, particularly they are also observers in the sustainable finance advisory committees and there is an exchange, but their role is obviously the one which I have described in relation to sustainability.
0: That's very helpful. I want to take a pause and do a little bit of scene setting. According to data from the BVI... SFDR appears to be a pretty significant driver for the increase of sustainable assets, at least as defined by Article 8 and Article 9 held by German domiciled funds. German sustainable assets, for instance, increased from $660 billion in Q4 of 2021 to $808 billion by Q1 of 2023. A good portion of this is obviously due to reclassifications. But do you see this growth as evidence of the success of SFDR's specific effort to steer capital flows, or is there another explanation? For instance, maybe German norms shifting, or could it potentially represent in the future greenwashing concerns, whether that means good faith misinterpretations of regulation or potentially bad behavior?
1: Jason, I think it's true that we have Generally, seen, I think, not only in Germany but almost globally, a tremendous growth in sustainable themed investment products. For instance, Jungtat in 2022 found out that the market reached about 5.8 trillion dollars and grew about 12 percent, uh, grew up from about 12 percent from 2021. The sustainable fund market also, in more specific, also increased. And we know, and that's, I think, also important to keep in mind, that there is a lot of of demand for such products. So I think increasingly investors seek investment opportunities, which are obviously interesting from the benefit and the return side, but also which create another benefit potentially maybe outside mere monetary impact. And this is clearly true for Germany as well as you quoted uh, by your figures. Now, the interesting question you ask whether this is a result of regulation or whether this regulation just following the trend in this respect. So, was there investor demand first and what happened then later on with the regulation was mainly basically reflecting that trend. I think this is a very open and almost philosophical question. I think it would be very great to have more reliable data in order to indeed measure concretely the impact of regulation and its impact on what is happening. Because at the end, this is what we need to understand regulation because ultimately it's about transforming of our economies. And sustainable finance is obviously a very important piece of that, but we have to be aware maybe there are also other ways of doing it. I think you mentioned already in your questions a bit also the challenges, I think, which we see with the SFDR. And it's, for instance, very much true that BVI has classified by far more products under Article 8 compared to Article 9, certainly because of caution and some uncertainties around the SFDR, which I think are necessary to look at. But I think we will go a bit deeper into the issues around SFDR in a minute.
0: Thanks, Esther. That's really helpful. I'm also curious about how the German market organizes itself from this perspective. What's the reason for the proportion of assets in sustainable funds in Germany remaining lower than both the EU average and the figure in many European countries, at least among retail funds? Roughly only a third of all fund assets held by German investors are in sustainable funds. I.e. Article 8 and Article 9, according to Morningstar and BVI data, at least at the end of 2021, I don't have any later data, this seems to contrast sharply with countries like Sweden at 79%, France at 60%, and an EU average at 40%. Is there something structural? Is there a structural explanation about that?
1: Jason, so I think the figures I got from which are more recent from May 2023 tell a slightly different story because there we see almost half of the assets under management for retail funds are Article 8 funds. So So, around 49%. So, we are much closer to what you have quoted for other countries. As I said, however, and that is, I think, because of some of the uncertainties, maybe also of the caution of the German manufacturers that they are much less. Products under Article Nine, and this is why they they have put less products under Article Nine. I think is because they are very cautious in terms of not wanting to suggest something which is not on the tin. I cannot comment how other member states deal with that. Maybe they have different approaches. However, what I think is very clear from that figures which we are just discussing is that there are different approaches to the SFDR. And that there are also uncertainties, mostly probably around Article 9, how to classify the products. And this is why we think, together with some other of our European partners, that the SFDR needs a revising. And we are very pleased to hear that the Commission wants to start a process around that after the summer break. Um, it will probably not happen under this cycle. Which is probably also good news because I'm quite aware that the market has already developed in a certain shape. So we should not make too hasty conclusions how to revise the SFDR. I think we need proper consultation, proper evidence, proper analysis of the market. But it shows certainly that there is an issue which leads to supervisors and firms to take different approaches to the SFDR, which is probably ultimately not so helpful for the consumer.
0: No, no, I would agree with you there very strongly. But let, let's dig into that. If you were to look at some of these issues that you're pointing to, what's working and what's not working with regard to European sustainable finance regulations? Do do we have time to substantially revise these regulatory frameworks?
1: So um, I think, first of all, we should be very clear that without all these regulatory efforts of the European Union, we would not be where we are today. There is huge progress. Sustainable finance since 2018 has left the niche. It's not a niche issue anymore. It has become mainstream. Firms and financial services players put it at the heart of their thinking. There's a lot of awareness. And I think the whole financial sector is also aware that they have to play an important role here. So there is clearly progress and this is also indispensable. At the same time, when you look at a more technical level, there challenges. For instance, I think we are still dealing with the consequences of the sequencing of the legislation because it started with SFDR, followed by the taxonomy, and it ended up with the CSRD and the reporting standards under the CSRD. In an ideal world, I guess we would have turned the order around and would not face some of the problems of coherence and um, inconsistence we are facing now. So I think this is certainly something which needs fixing and is this making ensure, make, to ensure that coherence and consistency work will be certainly also some of the major tasks for the next legislative cycle. So there should be a lot of focus, I think, on focusing on streamlining and consolidating. I think SFDR also is exactly one of the issues where we have to look into this much more closely because it came first and was now followed by the other pieces of legislation. But as I said, I think it's very important when we look at the SFDR to take into account how it has developed already in a kind of de facto labeling system, which is used by the industry even for advertising, but where at the same time, a lot of uncertainties around it. So I think this clearly needs fixing. On the other areas, I think, let's talk a bit more maybe about the taxonomy. I think it was always conceived to evolve, right? So it was always conceived as a kind of almost living document, taking into account the progress of technology, taking into account that it is necessary to include more and more activities, which is important, which we recently saw, With the last edition of the taxonomy and that is something which needs to continue over time so i think this is something which has to evolve over time the third challenge i think at the same time is obviously not to end up with too much burden with too high administrative costs and with too complex rules and making the application difficult. I think this is another challenge It has been done, I think for the best reasons in the world. But I think coming back to my second point, there is something to be done in the next cycle in order to bring that more in coherence and make this practically work better.
0: It is interesting. I agree with you. There are a lot of critics around SFDR and the EU taxonomy, but specifically around SFDR. And and I actually find some exception with that because they tend to undervalue or overlook the powerful precedents that are being set around methodology, approaches, data, binding commitments that I think are incredibly important. And the sequencing point, to take your point, there have obviously been a lot of criticism around that. But to me, it's interesting because when you look at other jurisdictions, I think specifically the U.S., obviously the SEC is rolling out in tandem the climate-related disclosures for both Corporates and investors at the same time. So, even from a US perspective, you don't get a more natural kind of sequencing of of corporate disclosures followed by investors.
1: As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm obviously, I mean, I'm not really in charge of that at the Ministry of Finance as our colleagues of the Ministry of Justice, but. In our overall coordinatory role here, as I mentioned in the beginning on sustainable finance, we look, obviously, at the burden which all that creates and we are constantly advocating, be proportionate, make it practical, let not be the perfect, be the enemy of the good, because the granularity, which has, again, for the best reasons in the world, which has arisen, clearly creates challenges particularly for the real economy particularly when you think about SMEs which are not directly involved but which are part of the value chain and have to deliver sometimes the same data as the big corporates. So there are lots of issues uh, to be solved I think in the future. I mean we have just the first edition of the ESRS standards which are probably released soon but there is a lot of work until all this will come into practice and we have I think vigilant that this remains all feasible and practical in view of the aims we want to achieve. I mean, the, the the reporting and all that should not become a purpose in itself. It should always help to drive the transformation, but I will talk about that a bit later.
0: I do want to touch on one area. Germany adopted its first sustainable finance strategy on May the 5th, 2021. It proposes action in four areas transition finance, inclusiveness, resilience, and contribution of the financial system and global ambition. How does the finance ministry reconcile its early focus on transition finance, an area that that you've already brought up repeatedly and the importance of that, with the idea that the EU SFDR does not specifically address? Transition. In other words, how is Germany working to drive transition finance and even areas like climate technology solutions outside of European Commission level regulations?
1: This is indeed an issue that the transition is not yet sufficiently addressed of what happens by the EU. When you talked about the SFDR, I see also the taxonomy, which is obviously very much dividing the world into green and not green. We appreciate a lot that the commission seems increasingly also aware of that with the latest clarification. They have done a great effort to show that there is also room for transition under the existing taxonomy. But I think we have still to go further. You know, there was then the discussion of having maybe an amber taxonomy or a transition taxonomy or something like that. What We would be very keen of solving this issue on transition not always only by reverting back to another form of taxonomy that is conceptually certain in in, in an option but we think we should look also another option and we think one more one very very important option is the idea of transition plans, something also other jurisdictions are working on like the uk because we see here some advantages a, they would allow to define corporates and financial service players to define their own password towards net zero. Second, they can be used also particularly by corporates, but also by financial services terms for their own management and their own steering of, of the processes towards a net zero economy. And I think this is also a very strong argument. It's a market-based tool. Financial services firm who uses data who receives the information to make its own judgment call on whether it thinks the pathway of the firm is credible or not. And this is why we drive that very much and and bring it also in the international fora and have also asked, for instance, our advisory committee also to work on that because we think this is a much better option than dividing this world into green and non-green.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it feels like institutional investors are in this sort of strange place, this dynamic where when it comes to transition, on one side, investors have to work towards, like you said, a binary taxonomy output that's still relatively unrefined. On the other side, it's an SFDR, essentially do-it-yourself project around self-determination that I think sometimes lacks rigor. But if transition is a blind spot for the European Commission, again, is there is there anything that the German Federal Ministry of Finance or can Germany do to fill out this area at a national level?
1: On the national level, we are always very cautious. I mean, we see ourselves then more as a driver of thoughts and ideas to bring them on the European or even global level. Because I think we have to be very aware that we are acting here in a global level playing field. And we think that we cannot do things on our own and with on our own remit and on our own borders alone. We can maybe develop and help ideas and bring them to the international fora, also to the EU commission and this is also something which we will be doing but we don't think that we should be doing things only in the borders of Germany because we think that would be not helpful for global failing field and it would not help also for the transformation because this, the transformation and the climate change does not stop at borders so we have to act globally or at least European ideally globally here and this is also why we engage so much in the G7 and G20 uh, discussions, as we have also laid out in our strategy. And again, I think uh, I'm, I'm a bit hammering on that because we also think that investing, as you said yourself, in green projects or firms or corporates which are already green will not be sufficient for our transition to the whole economies. We need the money to accompany those which are on their pathway. Um, and have to set out all the intermediate steps. And this is specifically true for those sectors that still are a long way from green, but are vital to the functioning of the economy. And that's really very keen. What is also important is that we have both, and that is also something I'm constantly hammering on is the financial services industry, as well as the real Monuments SMEs on the table when we discuss these issues. Because keep in mind, a lot of reporting sits with real economy to provide the financial services industry with the data they need. But the current development have brought about an unprecedented level of sustainability information, and that needs to be useful, proportionate and practical in order to be managed this is why we think we need to have both them on the table to understand the respective needs, to understand but also to understand the respective limits. That can be sometimes a bit burdensome in terms of the process, but it seems to me absolutely inevitable. By the way, I don't think that it's really a blind spot with the commission. As I said at the beginning, I think they're really aware that it's something which needs more focus and more attention in the the future. But I think we need more on that. And Again, how is CBR our role? So, constantly reminding the EU Commission, our EU partners of the need and the importance of transition, engage in the international fora on that, working actively on transition plans and bring, hopefully, some good ideas on the table Working also, that is also something which is very important, I think, on the consistency between the needs of the financial services industry and the corporates, given we have already some legal requirements. In the recent agreement on CRR, banks have to produce transition plans. There's a discussion in the CS3D ongoing, where it's also laid out that corporates need to have transition plans. There, The ISSB has put it in their standards. So we have to make sure that this at the end works. And that is also something where we see our role in constantly reminding and bringing this idea to the table. Because otherwise we get again into this shift of burden from one side to the other, which is not healthy for the ultimate goal.
0: Are there any lessons to be taken or borrowed from the UK, which you mentioned earlier? Is it something like the SDR, which obviously includes transition? Is it something like the transition pathway task force that the UK has set up?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, we are looking particularly um, and looking forward also to the results of the work of the transition task force because we find it a very interesting concept because as I said, they develop as as a market-led concept. Which I think is a good lesson and something to be looked at. We like also the idea that they make it mandatory in the sense that there should be a short format mandatory. So if you use, if you publish a, or if you do a transition plan, then you have to follow certain rules. It's not absolutely necessary that you publish a transition plan. I think this is also a very clever way because I think that leaves again market forces to drive to ask maybe critical questions to the corporate or to the firm, why they don't have a transition plan. So I found that a very clever way and we're very keen to keep on with our um, dialogue within and looking to their further results, which we are happy then also to, to analyze further for the work here in the European Union and also in the global fora.
0: Your role gives you an incredible amount of policy exposure. How do you see harmonization evolving for sustainable finance regulation, even on an EU basis, which I think you noted, there's a market difference in how some national regulators or supervisors interpret SFDR and position it alongside their own labels. It seems like there's certainly been some gold plating across Europe. So are national labels a permanent feature or a temporary necessity until the European Commission develops its own EU-wide labeling regime?
1: Keep in mind the sustainable finance regulation is part of the financial regulation and we see constantly progress here towards more harmonization. So I think that will happen also with the area of sustainable finance. And as we just have both noted, these differences in interpretation and understanding, for instance on the SFDR show, that there's more work to be done also on convergence, developing common understandings on certain concepts. Product labels for sustainable finance are not yet addressed by EU legislation, so in a way it's natural that national labels emerge. And I find it quite interesting that you put these national labels in the context of potentially gold plating the SFDR, because I'm not entirely sure... Whether I share that view, I think the problem is more that maybe because the SFDR has evolved into this de facto labeling system, which people use de facto. Though so without never having fully defined the borders and the content, it is sometimes the perception arises and that there are national labeling systems alongside. And I think it's very important to keep in mind SFDR was never conceived to be a product label or something like that, it was a disclosure regulation. So, in a way, it's natural that national labels were. A body or an authority puts a stamp can sit alongside. Nevertheless, I think it's it's very important to have more convergence for certain features of the sustainable investment market. Therefore, for instance, we are very glad that in the latest agreement, uses an ifd on the ESMA, there are ESMA guidelines, for instance, on fund names. Obviously, we have still to. Look at the overall deal. It's not yet finished the work. But that particularly point, I think, is, is a good development because I think that will help one element in that area to have more convergence and understanding. Again, I don't think that front names are a label. They are, at least from the German perspective, part of the authorization process. But to get a common understanding, a common approach, we think is very important. Because in the absence of EU convergence measures, I think authorities would do their own work if they detect problems in their market. Jason, if I may, I would like to draw the attention of another piece of work our advisory committee is doing. It's not properly related on the SFDR. It's not a product label either, It's but it's sitting in the context of that, which is the idea of an ESG scale or an ESG indicator, a bit similar to the risk indicator we used to know for funds on other products in the kit. And we find that a very interesting piece of work because it shall help to bring more clarity, particularly for retail investors, in terms of the sustainability content of their investment. It would relate, and that's, I think, also a good idea to the MIFID and IDD preferences. So it would kind of slip into that process. And it would be a tangible, visible piece of yeah, indicator which shall help retail investors. It's still taking into account the SFDR as it stands. It's so not something new on the SFDR. It would more sit in the context of preps. But I like mentioning it here because I find it a quite interesting and useful attempt to bring a bit more clarity on the table, but it's not a label that I would like to stress as well.
0: I'm glad you... You brought this up. It sounds like a novel approach. Will it be driven by the EU taxonomy, for instance, in terms of understanding the content within a portfolio?
1: So, again, just also to be very clear, it's not a national initiative. It's an idea which we would like to bring on the table in the European debates. And I think the uh, it's a bit premature for me to tell because it's not my work. It's our advisory committee which would do the work. Uh, I think the way they do it, they try to bring in different parameters to the table. Obviously the taxonomy, particularly in the dark green space, will play a role, but they are still setting the final touches. so it's a bit premature to make your big announcements. and I would like to let them do the job because they are the masters of ceremony, not not us at this stage.
0: Great. I want to circle back to the greenwashing point that we discussed earlier. How successful do you think current regulation is in mitigating greenwashing risk? And how do you think about the role of enforcement in the context of greenwashing? It seems like there are two very different enforcement models at play. The EU has driven ESG regulations but obviously appears to be much slower, including national regulators to enforce while an agency like the SEC, for instance, in the case of DWS in Germany has been much quicker to enforce under traditional misselling rules, but a lot slower to regulate. Where do you see Germany landing?
1: One thing which is, I think, always important when we discuss the issue of greenwashing is that there is no definition of greenwashing or, or on a, even a green common understanding of greenwashing, I think, in the European Union. So I think it's good that ASMA has started looking into this and tried to see what different regulators and authorities understand and how they would approach that concept. So I think this is a very important addition to the piece of work. And therefore, the question again, whether the... the the regulation is successful or not, will also depend on what you understand on the greenwashing. The other point you made on the approaches, I think this is not only again an issue of sustainable finance, I think this is something also which exists in other areas. I have to say, for me, both approaches are more complementary, but in a way I'm now entering in a turf which is not really mine, because this is really for Baffin to decide how and what they sanction. Coming back to this operational independ- independence point, we are now at the heart of that. So it's really their job to see how they They uh, go on with these things.
0: Then moving on, what are the implications and unintended consequences of creating disclosure frameworks and taxonomies in your view? Does this inevitably lead to picking winners and losers, i.e. steering capital? And does the Ministry of Finance ever worry that this potentially creates pricing distortions in the markets that threaten financial stability? As an example, ESG ratings might be an example of that.
1: I think we have always to be cautious with these with these things that they don't exist, that, that that we don't create green bubbles or something like that. I think that is something we were always very, very vigilant. And I think financial stability as part of the sustainable finance agenda was always paramount for Germany. You find it even in our coalition agreement, which clearly sets out that Germany wants to become a leading hub on sustainable finance, but always oriented also at the leitmotif of sustainable financial stability. And I I think, in a way, and that's always a trade-off, you need it also to evaluate, for instance, climate risks. You need good transparency and data. But, for instance, also to complement that question, for the same reasons, to avoid here bubbles or over-concentration, we have always declined a green support factor. Uh, is also let down in our coalition agreement, which I think is, is clearly showing how we approach that debate, and uh, we still stick to this principle.
0: I wanted to change lanes and move on to call it a more philosophical track. In my mind, it's one of the most intellectually interesting discussions in sustainable finance, which is about materiality. It obviously remains a divisive issue despite some progress over the last couple of years. And I appreciate that you've given a lot of thought to it. There are clear efforts to align standards like ESRS, ESRD with ISSB and its global baseline. But a fundamental divide still seems to exist, particularly between Europe and U.S. approaches. How do you see this materiality debate evolving, especially weighing a need not to overburden reporting with future demands like biodiversity that are intrinsically impact-oriented?
1: I make it... Less a philosophical question and, again, a more practical question in a way, because we were always very keen on not putting too much emphasis on these alleged or potential divisive views. I mean, I know there has been a lot of talk about the differences between the approaches and that one would be less ambitious than the other. We have always approached it from the other side and have always said, look more at the similarities. We have always also agreed that double materiality, the European approach, is important because we understand it's also important for many investors, as recognized now in the CSRD. But we always also thought that the global baseline as developed by the ISSB does not question the double materiality approach. The building block approach, they call it now global framework of the ISSB, allows supplements and incremental changes. And we were always focusing on this aspect of interoperability exactly in order to avoid into the philosophical gap. We always said, let's work on all these areas which overlap, which are similar. Let's work here on alignment. And therefore, we think it's absolutely crucial that FRAC and uh, ISSB work on their alignment. And we will always hope that they continue that work. But at the same time, Let's not put much emphasis always constantly on the differences and the gaps. This is also what we focused on in our G7 presidency and what we will continue to do so. We have also, with our successful bid for hosting the ISSB in Europe, I think we have also sent a strong signal that this is, that this is very important to us. And as I said, we have to approach it always more from this interoperability Side. I think, however, we are moving in a slightly different phase now on that topic. I think we cannot only talk about interoperability alone anymore. I think implementation now is also important of what the ISSB does, ideally across the globe. And that is now something we will also to continue to underline and emphasis in the international fora, And therefore, we were very pleased to hear that IOSCO has endorsed the ISSP standards a couple of days ago, which would not have been possible, in my view, without buy-in also of the U.S. side. As you see, we have purposefully never overstretched this alleged or potential gap or difference in in approaches, but more looked at the outcomes, because we thought that would bring the debate much more forward. And the CSRD has its double materiality approach, so that's set. As regards biodiversity, I think that's a very interesting point because A, I think it's even more difficult to measure because I think climate is still much more measurable so I think this is another challenge in terms of reporting and, and giving a reliable data. At the same time we know that the ISSB has already announced that they will be working also on this and we hope uh, that they pick up work because keep in mind also the CSRD and the ESRS standards again have that also as part of their work so if you Want to ensure again as much as possible global compliance and global a global playing field and global consistency, it would be important to work for the ISSB on that again to avoid gaps and problems with the work CSRS is doing. It is a challenge in terms of diminishing gaps, and um, it's a challenge also in view of, of avoiding bureaucratic burden. So I think proper time should be given and proper analysis and how it's done. But I think as soon it's on the table, I think it's again paramount that the two bodies work together again. And I hope that the work of the TNFD, also of the task force of nature-related disclosures, will be a good source of inspiration here and help to achieve as much alignment as possible.
0: agree. That's a really sensible approach to focus on implementation and interoperability. And I agree with you. It's it's great to see the IOSCO endorsement of ISSB. But to fully disclose, I've had some time on an FRAG steering lab group several years ago, and I'm also on the ISSB investor advisory group. And I always feel a little bit torn because I believe in a global baseline, but I do worry a little bit how ISSB stays up with mandated regional regulations that some are much more ambitious and will only grow more rigorous over time. I'm specifically talking about the evolution and periodic fitness tests behind something like NFRD, which is now grown into CSRD and ESRS.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm not denying the challenge here. No. I'm, I'm quite aware of that. I think the ISSP has a job here to do I'm, I'm very clear about that i think it's not uh, it's not trivial that job i think given that it is in the legislation it's also maybe the esrs work would slow down but i don't think so because it's i amended mandated by the legal text, and b i think there's also appetite for even more data so maybe you can do it in a more in the process, I think, can change and should potentially change to be more inclusive, to have more people on the table, maybe also again, focus, maybe have a bit more principle-based or more generic pieces of information and maybe avoid uh, the granularity, but I think the work will be continuing and that's why I think the ISSB needs to keep up with this, despite all their challenges. I'm quite aware of that and at the same time, I also sense that in some other jurisdictions sometimes the other environmental goals, such as for instance biodiversity or even others, are sometimes even more important to them than the climate issues. So in a way, there is maybe also a chance to do some more work here in view of aligning it with the CSID. But what us, for us, is important that we don't end up with unpractical requirements, that they're too burdensome, and that for global players, they have to do double reporting or duplications, which would be confusing to investors. That's what we care most about.
0: Final question. The finance industry tends to be a very cautious one. The real-time regulatory guidance and revisions to SFDR have driven both upgrades and downgrades, which have had the potential of undermining the credibility of sustainability products. I think we all recognize that. But what's your message to the investment management sector for how to understand German finance ministry expectations in sustainable finance, and particularly going to your point around transition in the real economy driving that?
1: Jason, if you allow, I would broaden the messages a little bit uh, and go a little bit beyond the investment community, if, if I may so. so. Absolutely. I think I would like to pause the following, managers. A, we want to create the right regulatory and institutional conditions for the transition in the EU and ideally globally. We absolutely have to make sure that there is a global playing field when we tackle this issue because the EU is competing with other jurisdictions, we touched upon that, and we need to make sure that we do not lose track and that we will be continue to push for that. We see, however, also a lot of chances in that development because the net zero economy, I think, offers also the growth opportunity of the 21st century. We have not so much touched about the chances today, particularly in combination with digital technologies. It is the basis for innovative new business models and jobs. And this is also something we are quite keen on in balancing out all these regulatory requirements. And as I said, we are arguing for proportionate, practical and manageable regulation.
0: Excellent. So it's been fascinating to discuss how the German Federal Ministry of Finance is evolving its sustainable finance strategy, why it's vital to drive transition finance into the real economy, and what harmonization holds for sustainable regulations and standards. So I'd really like to thank you for your time and insights today. I'm Jason Mitchell, Head of Responsible Investment Research at Man Group, here today with Dr. Esther Wendell. Head of Division for Investment Funds and Sustainable Finance at the German Federal Ministry of Finance. Many thanks for joining us on A Sustainable Future, and I hope you'll join us on our next podcast episode. Esther, thank you so much. This was a a great conversation today.
1: Thank you, Jason, for taking the time and offering me the opportunity.
0: I'm Jason Mitchell. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to our guests and, of course, everyone that helped produce this show. To check out more episodes of this podcast, please visit us at man.com forward slash ri dash podcast.